Galaxy Forum. I'm your host, Melissa Kaplan, and we're here to explore the creativity happening in the LCC Galaxy, in our classrooms and on campus, and connecting the work of our stars with our community. Today we're talking about making media, and I am delighted to welcome my guests, Rob Edwards and Terry Terry. Thank you both for being here. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's really good to be here. So, Rob, Rob Edwards is on the faculty of LCC's Digital Media Audio and Cinema program. He's been a producer, director, and educator for over 30 years, working in nearly every facet of the production industry, from local news to TV broadcasts to feature films, and his work has won awards on the local, national, and international levels. When he's not working on the next production, he's bike riding or wine tasting with his wife or busy writing. He's authored four books and is the current president of the Rally of Writers, Michigan's longest-running writers' conference. Rob believes that video production and writing is all about telling a compelling story. Terry Terry is founder and CEO of Message Makers, a multifaceted media company located in Old Town Lansing. Through video, live events, corporate training, and public relations for over 40 years, Message Makers tells those compelling stories that Rob mentioned for clients locally and around the world. Terry has received multiple awards for the work of his company, as well as for his role in the revitalization of Old Town. He's co-founder and president of MICA, the Michigan Institute for Contemporary Arts, and founder and producer of Michigan Blues Fest and Lansing Jazz Fest. Terry is an entrepreneur, an instructional designer, an artist, a man of many media and stories. And I am so pleased to welcome you both. Um, I've known you both since I started working in video, which was some decades ago, meeting you, Terry, in mm -hmm. Old Town, 1980s, kind of a rough and tumble era when you were just launching your company. Mm -hmm. And Rob, that is the time when I came to LCC to take a, a couple classes uh, in video production to, uh, to get some hands-on experience as I was working in what then was a very new endeavor in terms of training video. Um, I remember that class. Do you? I'm, I'm thrilled. It was over in the, uh, the AOF building and uh, in the basement. And uh, yeah, a lot has changed. But that's what we expect from media. I mean, media is continually changing the technology. I mean, the basics of communication are the same, but the, the tools that we use, um, it, it, sometimes it goes so fast that it's, it's really a challenge to keep up. Um, and that's one of the things that I want to talk about a little bit. But as I said, communication is kind of fundamental. And I'm really interested in, in what's going on in our classroom, in the digital media, audio, and cinema program. What kind of fundamentals are students learning? And tell us a little bit about the program, Rob. Well, the program uh, pretty much takes you through all the aspects of, of production, camera use, lighting, uh, post-production, even some um, animation and video compositing. We have, we have uh, two degrees. Uh, both are associates in applied science. We have a digital media specialist degree for those who just want to uh, get a degree and, and head right out into the workforce. And we have a digital, me digital media technology degree for those students who are looking to transfer to a four-year college. 
we currently have uh, agreements with Ferris, Grand Valley, Central Michigan, and Michigan State um, as um, lo locations for our students to be able to transfer to with, with a certain amount of ease. Um, and uh, yeah, they work on uh, what we consider state-of-the-art equipment. Our students are working on RED cameras, uh, which is you know what they use in feature films today. We um, edit with two different platforms: uh, Adobe Media or Adobe Premiere Pro and Avid Media Composer. Um, both uh, high-end with a fairly lear uh, steep learning curve as far as post-production goes. We have we have two studios. One is a film-style studio with uh, blue walls. Um, both have psych walls, which are the the walls with no corners. Um, and then the other is a is a TV TV broadcast um, style studio with three cameras and a studio control switcher and all that. So we uh, put the students to the paces here. And um, oh, we also have uh, um, pretty uh, comparable audio facilities with a a Pro Tool S. Pro Tools S6 uh, audio console, and for anybody who knows anything about audio, they're, they're salivating at hearing that one. Um, <laughs> and our, our live room is um, is pretty spectacular. So our audio equipment is is uh, top of the line as well. So great equipment, great facilities. What kind of projects are the students working on? What kind of you said you're putting them through the paces. What kind of skills are they focused on learning? Oh, sure, sure, sure. So they uh, they actually do all sorts of projects uh, from a new style projects uh, to you know get the fundamentals of the equipment down. Um, they'll do film style shoots and actually produce short films. They'll do television broadcast style shoots uh, like news. Um, studio news, but we also have uh, uh, live sports shoots as well. And um, they do projects for like uh, community partners um, here and there, uh, Habitat for Humanity, um, Capital Area District Library, nonprofit type stuff, Allen Street Project. And I think they just did one for refugee services. So um, just little PSA type things. Well, that's great. They're actually producing pieces that are that are being used. It's it's not only for class classroom sharing, but uh, there's a, a a client there on on the other end that's uh, that's receiving the the finished work. So there's yeah, yeah. some standards that need to be be met. And that you know, Terry, I want to bring you in because I'm I'm interested in what you look for from. Sure. From students who are in a program such as right. ours. Well, first of all, we've had many, many, many interns and employees come out of the programs from LCC, and it's been great. I'm glad to hear that. You know, really, it's oh, uh, and, and I'll say right now, we continue to look for them. So if you've got anybody, never hesitate to give us a call because we have opportunities oh, for them. That is good to know. Okay. Yep. Yep. We're looking, and we continue to get busy. But, um, well, you know, there's some of the basics, you know, like they have, you have to be able to actually communicate in the sense of, you know, spoken and written ability to, you know, to put a sentence together, a paragraph, because, you know, we're all about storytelling and communicating. So, like, the fundamentals need to be there as well as the technical skills, you know, knowing how to 
whatever it might be, you know, run the audio board or use a camera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> but the, the ability to um, work with others, uh, to be um, thinking ahead, to plan, to show up, you know, showing up's pretty important. But it is, and that sounds so basic, but, yeah, but it's critical. Yeah. You know, I don't, we don't want to, you know, we're not trying to twist anybody. I, I, I don't want to twist anybody's arm to work with us. You know, we, we provide a pretty good opportunity, and if they're there, they're going to have a great experience. They can, you know, and if we hire them, they'll make some good money, and uh, they'll learn a lot. We have great, interesting clients. Yeah, tell great. us a little bit about some of your clients, Terry. Well, first of all, you know, kind of the baseline of message makers is we want to we say we want to work with good, smart people that want to make the world better. So that's kind of a, that's our baseline. And then nice. the clients have ranged from, you know, we've produced fundraising videos for the Red, American Red Cross to, um, you know, leadership training for Harley Owners Group, you know, literally around the world. Um, I think, Melissa, you helped us one time with uh, programs we did for the uh, National Association of Women Business Owners. Did you help on the uh, Harley one, the uh, John Bowman series? A little bit, and then on you, you the did Veterans Home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the the Veterans uh, was that the Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids Veterans. Veterans yeah, that home. was a, that was a real tearjerker. I know. Program. People cry all the time. So, what I say at Messenger Makers is, um, we make people cry, laugh, imagine, and act. We help people tell their stories, and we work with emotions to get their attention, so they'll pay attention to the message. So. So people need to understand that, that it's not just about the technical aspect of it, but you know, how do you get people's attention and how do you put a story together that gets their attention and keep them intrigued and involved and still pay attention to the message. Yeah, storytelling. I mean, and you said that in, in your, my introduction for you, Rob, um, telling a compelling story. Um, I hear that from both of you, that that's talk about a fundamental that, you know, before you even know how to push any buttons. But how does that get, you know, where does that fit into the DMAC program here, digital media, audio, and cinema? Um, and that's for you, Robin, kind of quick follow-up for you, Terry, afterwards. If you have somebody who's got good instincts but maybe doesn't have that experience, how did, how did they get an opportunity? I could grab that a little bit to start out. Okay. Sure, uh, sure, but it, but it's, it's starting with why, like, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? So, you know, in, in all, in our work, you know, we look at our clients, what do they want? What's, what's the bottom line? They, you're telling a story to move people from a situation to some outcome, or you want to move somebody to whether it might be to, um, in the simplest words, you know, like buy something or vote a certain way or perform more safely on the job. You know, you want an outcome not just talking to talk, right? Or you're not just showing a video because it could be a pretty award-winning video. You want to change people's behavior. So people that can learn about that and understand it, they can, they can have the, certainly learn the technical abilities, how to frame a shot, how to get the lighting right, how to make sure you get good quality sound, et cetera. But you got to start with the end in mind. So that's, to me, really, really critical. And the people that can do that, now all the rest starts to make sense and why am I doing this this way or why do I want this out and why do I want to hear this person <laughs> you know because I want to hear their story you know so it's important so, sorry I jumped in on that one but go ahead Rob no no that's a, but that's that's exactly right um I teach post-production uh mainly for the for the program and I you know I instruct the students that there's a thing called visual grammar and 
you know, I heard, uh, I think I heard Quentin Tarantino one time say that the last, the last version of the script is actually the first version of the rough cut, which is, is very true because once the film is cut, it, it can be told much differently than the script is written. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of rabbit trailing here, but there is a thing called visual grammar and I show them this by editing a scene from, I have, uh, a few scenes from some movies and you can edit scenes from a movie um, and make the the feel of the scene change from a casual conversation to quite a heated debate just by the cutting out the breath um, overlapping the the dialogue uh, the, the students are quite amazed and, and I show them there's a good example online of uh, you guys remember the the movie um, with Robin Williams? Oh, what's it called? Where he plays the Scottish housekeeper? Uh, Fires. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Yeah. Doubtfire. Yeah. Wow, that hit my mind. So there's I filmed the real trailer, and then there's another trailer cut with the with the same footage that turns it into a horror film, and it's astounding. Uh, that that's out there for anybody to check out. So Rob, do you find that students, uh, how do students respond to seeing that kind of example, that stark example of the power that, that an editor has? They're, they're absolutely astounded. You know, I think they, they take the classes um, to learn the technical. And, and of course we show them the technical, uh, but I think that they feel when they come in, all they need to know is how to use the equipment and they're good to go. And just like Terry said, uh, you know, the fundamentals are telling the story. What are you trying to get the audience to receive? What kind of message are you trying to get the audience to receive or change their behavior? And, and you know, the technical stuff is actually second. Am I right, Terry? Yep. And you need to be, uh, you know, we do these uh, little, I'll say, focus groups or validations along the way when we do rough cuts just to find out the impact that it's actually having on our audiences because things will change. Some people can take, you know, intense, fast-paced messaging. Others, it's not going to work for them so so much. But we'll ask really fundamental questions. And what we like to do is ask, first, what was the message here in your own words, you know? And and uh, and then we'll ask things like, was there a, on the key topics that we were, were addressing, is it you spent enough time, too much time, or too little time on it? And if we can get a handful of people to our target audience to look at it and answer those questions, we'll get a sense, you know, we'll, we'll see, okay, well, it looks like we're on the right track. We're, we're seeing a, a pattern here of responses, you know, they're, they're missing part of the message, you know, cause they didn't say it in their own words that way, or they felt like we spent way too much time on something and they already knew that. So why are we wasting our time? You know, so it helps really in the refining process, but it also gets back to what are you trying to accomplish? And, you know, it's good. And, and it, and actually it helps you, um, Production-wise and cost-wise, you know, you're looking at, you know, oh, we want to make this change, but if everybody's getting the message and they're liking what we did, then why are we going to go through and re-edit something that we don't need to? It's it's working. So, because everybody's got an opinion and everybody sees it from, a, you know, we as producers and as clients have tunnel vision. We be, all become experts in this topic area, so we can no longer see it through the eyes and ears of our audience. So we need to hear from them, and then you know, make our adjustments based on what they're actually experiencing, not 
all the we just see. And you, and you, it's always a combination process: your creativity, your ideas, your team, and there, and then the audience to kind of make it work. So I want to talk for a minute about uh, what what is the outlook for jobs in this field, in this vast field of media? What are the kinds of jobs that are available and what's the local scene like? I guess it's, you know, for both of you. For us, um, like I said, we need, you know, producers. We need people at the um, level that they can wear multiple hats. Uh, certainly need the technical abilities, but more so people that can work with clients, work with teams, coordinate production. So it's the coordination side of things. You know, you know, you know, you have to understand how the audio works and what an audio crew does and what the video crew does and all those roles and functions so that you can oversee it. But we see that as the greatest, our greatest need. Certainly, from time to time, we were always hiring specialists in for this or that. In addition. Do you feel that across uh, the, the the local community that's pretty consistent? Are there also um, jobs for the camera people, the audio specialist, or have people become less specialized? How how? I think what I'm seeing is less specialized because even the you know if you go to like uh, local IATSE, they've got camera operators, but they do sound, they do camera, they don't do just one thing, and, and so. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Uh, I think probably the most specialization in terms of freelance work is probably camera. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, people from, well, I know from uh, students from our curriculum who get calls from like the Big Ten Network and ESPN when, when they're in town uh, just to run camera. Um, but anything else i mean people shoot they edit um, a lot of them write or they'll they'll run they'll work the grip truck whatever is needed of them that day right running a tele running a teleprompter whatever it takes you know yeah exactly generally you know the the crews are small you know unless you're working on a big movie you got a small crew of could be from two to eight, nine people on it, depending on the nature of the shoot, but people need to be able to do more than one thing to, to make it work. How has uh, social media changed the work of media makers? At our end, what well, we, we found with um, well, so, social media and the pandemic both mm-hmm. had impact. Uh, you know, we had large, we, we produced a lot of live in-person events. And at the beginning and... 19 or 20, I can't remember the dates now, things, a lot fell off. And then almost in a month or so, clients were calling up saying, we need to bring our communities together. So how do we do that in this new situation? And we ramped up. This is another skill set that's needed um, to be able to, you know, produce video um, on the web. You know, we use vMix and tools like that where we can bring in high quality audio video signals from around the world and mix it and, we have people meet that way. So uh, what we found is that there's a, a great demand. Our clients really needed it. Our business actually grew, and they were able to bring the communities together and have people participate that wouldn't have in the past because it was actually lower cost of entry. Instead of flying to Atlanta for a conference, they just had to dial in, so to speak. Yeah. And now so they could still pay the registration fee to their conference, but they, they would never thought about doing that before, and now they can participate. So 
So that's really grown, and and we've all seen the and participated in the bad videos, the bad mm -hmm. <laughs> can't see this person, they're silhouetted against a, a window, or you can't hear them. And so, you know, we've really refined the ability to make guarantee and all the things that go in the background to make sure that you're going to get a quality signal, the planning and the pre-production, as well as whatever technology you need to be. You know, if we need to send them a camera and an audio, we, we have these kits will send a certain uh, high-profile presenters to make sure that it's all going to work for them. Yeah, so, I mean, this is in, in many fields as, as rough and uh, seemingly never-ending as the pandemic has been and continues to be. There's, you know, human ingenuity uh, has uh, found some amazing ways to to bring people together. And I think media, the use of media is one of those. Rob, how uh, is this uh, area that we're talking about, is that something that um, is at all addressed in the DMAC program? I know it, it, it takes a while to get a, a class uh, added, but, but just is that part of the discussion with students? Well, streaming has always been part of the discussion. Um, streaming to save the world through a pandemic hasn't been part of the discussion. Um, you know, we have been using DMIX too. It's a pretty incredible tool. Um, uh, that has not been part of our curriculum, but we have been talking um, since the pandemic about, you know, adjusting things. The pandemic, just like uh, Terry just said, has, has put a lot of emphasis on these new tools and these new forms of you know, delivery, um, especially uh, for live events, things like that. So okay. it's, it's, you know, the, the curriculum has changed with technology, and I think, you know, we need to look at it again. I can uh, kind of lend some insight to why I think this is pretty important. Uh, I'm part of a consortium of about a dozen companies like mine around the country where we commiserate and talk about our experiences. And one of them has a client a uh, big client, you'd all know, I told you who it was, but they, I think in the fall of 19, canceled their annual event, um, spent 25% of what they would normally spend on the event on a, a virtual conference, and they doubled their sales. Wow. So they'll Ooh. go back to live in person at some point or, or hybrid, but I don't think they'll ever not learn from that and utilize that because they were able to get increased participation and they figured out how to you know, monetize it, how to make it work. They could, they did things differently, but you know, the online gave them other opportunities that you couldn't in person. So that was, that was an eye opener when I heard that. Cause, and we've seen it too, you know, our uh, clients have been able to, you know, repurpose their budgets and they've spent more on the, um, virtual stuff and that's worked for them so yeah that's that's really powerful so, so. and rob i hear you too that uh, i mean the i know you and the faculty team in digital media audio and cinema is continually looking at uh how technology and delivery changes impact what's taught in the classroom one last question for you both uh, advice for students who their dream is to to work in film and media, and they're in the DMAC program, or they're either just starting or they're close to being done. Um, Rob? My number one piece of advice is 
attitude is everything. So you go out on these shoots with anywhere from two to nine people, like Terry said, or the crews can be much bigger. And the days are long. Sometimes you're working six days a week, sometimes up to 16 hours a day. And people don't want to be around someone who's complaining or who's hard to get along with, who's not willing to be a team player, who's not willing to do their part. It doesn't matter how great your technical skill is. If you can't be that person that they can get along with, you're not going to be working. That yeah, is I, great advice. I, and I know in my experience, the best the best shoots are the ones where people, no matter what, and there's always the no matter what, that is the nature of media, <laughs> that, that they've had the attitude that, that's figured things out and brought people together. And working with you, Rob, I just, I mean, not just because we're talking, but I know that's that to be yeah. the case. So you model what you teach. Yeah, it's a team thing. It's a team sport, you might say. It's, that, that's, it's not a solo field. And, uh, yeah, and I would, I would add a couple things to that. I think getting some experience, I mean, going out, whether it's an internship or a job, but you need to, you need to work in the field and see if you like it and if you like the people in the, in the industry. And so, so, you know, really work hard to find the right opportunity. And, and I guess you could do that, Rob, you know, like guide them towards places that will give them a, that good first experience so they can really evaluate, is this going to work for me? And, you know, for example, you guys were saying this, it's, it's six day week. It's not a nine to five industry. So if you nope. want that, uh, you're not probably not going to find it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know many people that can do the nine to five one. There, I mean, there are little pockets of it, but it's yeah. just and. But that's yeah. part of the excitement too. Is that uh, you might you, you could be hopping on a plane and going somewhere and and you know shooting through the night and then having a few days off wherever you're at and. Yep, um, deadline. Yeah. It's it's deadline based. You know, you have projects and deadlines, and you work towards that. Not. Anything yep. else? Yeah. Well, what a great discussion. Thank you both so much, Terry Terry and Rob Edwards, for talking about making media. Uh, and thank you to our listeners. To connect with Rob and Terry, if you'd like, please visit our website at lccconnect.org. And you can also there find more information about LCC's Digital Media Audio and Cinema program and about message makers. And you can also listen to this and other episodes of the show and, and uh, all of LCC Connect's programming uh, on demand. Special thanks to our producers, Lane Ingram and Dalian Lowry, and to Andy Callis for composing our theme music. I'm Melissa Kaplan, and this is Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Mason Promise Scholarship. The Mason Promise Scholarship is a community organization of volunteers that guarantees funding for two years of Lansing Community College education to selected Mason Public School students. For more information on the Mason Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode, I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people, representative of all walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on the alumni who make positive contributions to their communities and showcases those who've overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve their academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Rola Nashef. She attended LCC right out of high school and completed her courses and transferred on in 1993. She's a filmmaker, director, public speaker, and professor of practice at Michigan State University in fiction filmmaking. She's also the creator of the award-winning film Detroit Unleaded, which is considered the first Arab-American romantic comedy in the history of American cinema. Welcome to the show, Roa. Thank you. Thanks for having I, me. I am so excited to talk to you. Me and you too. know, we we I just watched the trailer to your film. We should probably start talking about Detroit Unleaded. Tell me about your film. For sure. Uh, well, Detroit Unleaded is really my debut feature film. Mm-hmm. I wrote. It was the first time I had written a feature-length screenplay. Okay. So it, it's um, before Detroit. Before the actual feature, I, I made a couple of shorts. Okay, so you made a couple films. short films. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but bef- even before that, the the real inspiration for me to become a filmmaker was a lot of different things. You mm-hmm. know, I I'm you know I was like kind of a natural storyteller. Okay. Um, you know, growing up, you know, telling stories or loving you know stories and hearing stories. Um, and also have like a, a real um, immigration background. Okay. And so when I was growing up, I just never really saw my 
family story, you know, represented. In, in, the, in the films that you see uh, being made. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I took a lot of inspiration, you know, uh, from American films and American filmmakers. Mm -hmm. um, but I kept kind of turning it onto myself and my family and my community and thinking, you know, this would make a great story or this would make a great film or my experience in, in here would make a great film. Um, and so I was sort of missing that. Uh, image, you know, from the media I was ta I, I was seeing, uh -huh. even though I was deeply inspired. I mean, there's nothing better than like American television in the 80s, you right, know? Right, right, right. Um, or, you know, Karate Kid and um, John Hughes films, you know, these are th the films I grew up on, right? Right, right. Incredible stories. <laughs> Amazing stories. But you didn't see yourself in these stories. Yeah, uh -huh. you know, just in terms of my ethnicity. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but at the same time, what was interesting about it is, you know, Hollywood cinema tends to be um, you know, not very good to the Arab image. Um, and so... Right, yeah. right, which, yeah. So there was like this missing Arab image, and then at the same time, there was, I was kind of being bombarded with negative Arab imagery, you know, as right. Arabs as terrorists, Arabs as kidnappers, you know, whatever it was. And and public media are just, popular media is replete with those kinds of negative images, yes. right? Yes, mm -hmm. yep, exactly. So I kind of grew up with that, and then... Um, I found my way to film school. Um, I mean, that was one of the driving forces of I want to tell a story. Right. Um, and so uh, that was really one of my, you know, uh, dr driving forces to become a filmmaker. So and you're and you're teaching filmmaking and, and screenwriting. And I imagine that one of the biggest things you share with your students is for them to write about their own from their own perspective, right from their own uh, uh, point of view, and that's exactly what you did with with your first feature film. Absolutely, um, I I love to help students um, sort of look inward and look at their own life experiences as great material for mm -hmm. stories and for and for storytelling. Um, you know, a lot of times people think that you have to come out with the next Star Wars, you know, to, right. to have a, you know, a, a hit film or something. Mm -hmm. But in fact, if you look inward and look at your own family, your own community, your own upbringing, you will find so many quirky, interesting, lovely, you know, dramatic uh, stories, you know, within your own experiences. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great teaching and great writing, I think. And you, you mentioned your own story, your own upbringing. Now, your your first feature film takes place in Detroit, but you're from here, right? You're from Lansing. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, I love Lansing. I grew up in Lansing. So mm -hmm. my family and I immigrated from uh, Lebanon, okay. from uh, southern Lebanon mm -hmm. in 1978. Okay. It was the middle of the, or the beginning of the Lebanese Civil War. Okay, right. And we had, you know, suffered some tragedy, um, with, you know, within the war. and Tough time for your family in Lebanon. Yeah. yeah. And it was a really, really hard time. And, uh, you know, we lost a beloved family member. Oh. And that was kind of like the last straw, you know, and my, and my parents immigrated here. Uh, my uncle had, um, had already uh, been here. He was an engineer at Ford. Okay. And so our paper, you know, he had applied for us and our papers came in time and we immigrated. Mm -hmm. um, and we came here to um, Lansing where my dad got a job at General Motors, which was Oldsmobile. <laughs> yeah, then. definitely. So yeah. how old are you at this point? When, when... Um, I'm five. Okay. So you emigrated when you were five. Yes. Okay. And so your 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 dad's working at Oldsmobile. Yeah. And what, what, were, what was your upbringing like here as a as a recent immigrant uh, from Lebanon, yeah, um, it was interesting. We lived in um, 
a cute little neighborhood called Cochlite um, on the south side. Okay. I don't, I don't know that I know it. It's on the south yeah, side. Yeah, it's okay. on the south side. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very working class, super diverse neighborhood. Okay. You know, all my friends were African-American, uh, Caucasian, uh, Mexican immigrant, you know. Okay. So diverse neighborhood. Very diverse. Mm-hmm. and. And it's like, you know, the the factory becomes the great equalizer a lot of times, you know. And so everybody's family was really just like ours because they all worked in the factory or, you know, had like these sort of middle income jobs. Sure. And we we see that in cities in the Midwest, this sort of shop culture, right? We've working class identity, particularly neighborhoods, folks who work in the auto industry. So that that's That's where you you came from. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so within the neighborhood, it was a lot of fun. Me and my brother had a blast. Um, (laughs) My... (laughs) Uh, my youngest brother wasn't born yet at that time, and when he was, he was just like a little baby. So, so he was born here. Yeah, he was okay. born here. So okay. we, you know, he's the American. <laughs> we well, call you're, him. You're, you're, yes, of course. <laughs> I was gonna say you're you're an American. Yes, of course. Yeah. So, you know, he's like the 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 born here American. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, my brother and I, you know, would be playing with all of our friends who were super diverse, and they they kind of became our outlet to American culture. You know, where our parents were, you know, busy with life. They had just immigrated. They're working hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times in school, I would have a hard time understanding the teacher because I wasn't grasping the language like well enough yet. Okay. So my friends kind of became my outlet to American culture. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of almost instantly, like as soon as I got here, began to see American culture through a very diverse lens. Right, right. Know? So you had, a, you had a diverse friend group with lots of varying perspectives. Exactly. And that probably, I mean, the, the visual image that comes to my mind is almost like the surfaces of a diamond, right? There are lots of different facets of the way that yeah. you're the light light is being refracted to you. Yep, that's that's a great uh, analogy. Well, that's really cool. So so you um, did you graduate from high school on, on, down there on yep. the south side? Well, we eventually moved to uh, the west side okay. where I went to Waverly High School. Okay, you went to Waverly. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm a warrior. <laughs> um, and it was, kind, I mean, it was really the same, you know, almost the same demographics. You know, I still had like a really diverse, you know, uh, friend circle. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I... You know, but school was like always kind of a challenge for me. It was, it was a struggle. I felt like I couldn't find my niche, you know. Okay. Um, and one of the things I excelled at was writing. Cool. But it's like, but n- nothing else really made sense. Okay. Um, and so I, after high school, I remember thinking, I didn't even apply to universities because I just, I, my, it's not like I had failed, but my grades were okay. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't like, I just didn't even have the kind of know-how or maybe self-esteem at that point to, you know, I thought, okay, I didn't, I didn't do well in high school or I did okay in high school. So I didn't really apply to universities where my other friends were going to universities. Um, And so I remember right after high school where I did struggle, uh, my friend Art Leah, who's still my friend to this day, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she was like a great student. Like both my friends were really great students. I was more like the C student. Okay. All right. And so they got into these great universities down South Uh and she, I remember her telling me, listen, I'm going to take a class this summer at LCC. It Uh was philosophy 101. Okay. Introduction to logic. Um, she's like, do you want to take it with me? I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll take a class with you. And I just remember (laughs) going to class and everything starting to make sense where I was, it was kind of foggy in high school. But the second I learned logic and philosophy and like A plus B equals C, 
everything kind of started to click. I and love I this. Began to really love education, and I couldn't get enough of LCC classes. You know. Well, that makes me super happy. So that was in 1993, right? That was in 1990. Oh, 1990. Yeah. So in 1990, you essentially uh, tag along with a friend to take a philosophy course in logic. Mm -hmm. And that's when education starts to make sense for you. Absolutely. Here at LCC. Yep. I love that. There are philosophy faculty listening right now just doing fist pumps. Yeah, that, a, that is so cool. A big shout out, really, because uh -huh. I always, throughout the years, I've always thought about that class. And I, I've always thought, what would have happened to me if I didn't take that class at LCC? I've always thought that. For throughout the, all my years. Well, I don't even want to think yeah. about that. Right? that. That's fantastic. So so you, you take that class with your friend who's mm -hmm. going to somewhere else, but you stay and you keep taking classes. Tell me about the your experiences here at LCC. What else did you take? And you, you know, I know you transferred in 93, but um, tell me a little bit about what it was like to be a student here. Yeah. Um, first, I felt the that I fit in right away. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, it just felt like there was people at varying degrees in their in their education and that's how I felt too. It's like I wasn't the straight A student mm -hmm. and I didn't know what I wanted to do in terms of college, but I knew I loved LCC. And I loved coming here and like driving down and getting dressed and like exploring all of these topics with no real pressure of like what is your major? What are you gonna major in? And you know, and right. and, I, and I could afford it mm -hmm. as well, you know. Um so I remember taking so many different things. Um that really didn't even relate to each other, um, which in the end actually helped me in my filmmaking. So I took classes like accounting. I was exploring accounting at one point. Sure. I, I hadn't tapped into my like creative side yet. Um, I was taking public relations classes, uh, marketing and marketing research classes. Like I was studying statistics, um, writing. I, I took like writing one and two. Um, oh, I was taking like a music history classes, which I love, like blues history. Fantastic. I remember I did a jazz class once. Um, I did uh, some exercise classes, you know, so it was just like this all around, um, just like bettering myself, exploring and bettering myself. Right. And based on the topics, it's almost like you were putting putting together your own independent filmmaker curriculum, right? That, I, as you were ticking them off, I'm thinking, yeah, a filmmaker would need that. Yeah, a filmmaker would need that. Exactly. Oh, pre-law. That's right. Indeed. I was in the paralegal program. All right. Cool. After a couple of years and I went to paralegal, I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to be paralegal. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many contracts I've written on my own because I'm an independent filmmaker. Yeah. And I can't, you know, I was wasn't always able to afford a lawyer when I was making my films. So it's like I had to write, you know, me and my producers had to write contracts on our own. Um, and so all of these different classes, all of these various explorations mm -hmm. I was doing, they all had their place on a film set, you know. And I didn't even know I was a filmmaker till really later on, you know, like three, four years down the road after LCC is when I discovered film school. That is fantastic. And I, and I tell you what, I, I am, I, it makes me so happy to hear that all those experiences you had here uh, have been so helpful for you in your, in your filmmaking journey. Now, so you take all those classes, you transfer in 1993, where'd you go? Um, I went to MSU. Uh -huh. So I started taking classes at Michigan State. Uh -huh. um, and that's where I became involved in the Arab Student Organization and uh -huh. kind of found my political voice and mm -hmm. started organizing, which was essentially producing. Um, we would like stage like big parties and or bring in artists to, to speak. Mm -hmm. And 
um, just or, or professors to speak on certain topics or have debates with people. And so it was really me organizing. And I would also do stuff like go to student council and get $10,000 for Arab Awareness Week. I remember we like would stage like a whole week of culture, like Arab Culture Week. Uh-huh. So I was learning how to put together budgets and proposals and go to, you know, money people basically and say, hey, can we have this money to do this event? Which is essentially exactly what a filmmaker does. Fantastic. And it sounds, and I'll just say this, sounds like taking those uh, principles that you learned here at LCC and putting them into practice at the big university to to, to further not only your your artistic vision, but, you know, things you wanted to see happen culturally, politically. Absolutely. So did uh, what are your degrees from, 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 are they all from Michigan State or... Here's the funny thing, <laughs> is that I don't have any degrees. All right, tell me so, about that. Okay. Okay. So after Michigan State, I went to um, try to go be a paralegal okay. at Madonna University. All right. Okay. Um, and I remember I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna do this, but I was starting to be like, I don't know, am I a paralegal? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started taking classes at at Madonna. I'm gonna finish my paralegal degree and, okay. and get a nice stable job. Right. This was my thinking. Okay. Um, I go there and I start. And that's where I made my first move to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I moved to Detroit, and I was in AmeriCorps. Um, yeah. Right. And I started working at the Arab Community Center for Economic and Social Services. Okay. So this was like, you know, this is really the premier Arab-American uh, community center. Mm-hmm. It's really the only one like it in the, in the entire United States. Right. Um, and they had a cultural arts program there. And so AmeriCorps placed me there to do my, you know, uh, volunteer requirements. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time, I was working at an Arab community center, and I was meeting Arab artists for the first time. And I was organizing them and doing shows, and, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like an intern, um, but it was like my first job. Yeah. And and I started meeting all these artists and creative people, and I'm like, I feel like I'm like them, (laughs) you know? And it turns out you were. Yeah, I'm like, there's something about these people. I feel like there's something about them that I identify with Mm -hmm. or like we're on the same wavelength, something. And I was starting to learn from them and starting to be inspired by them, Um, which I think is such a unique experience as an Arab American. I mean, how often do you meet an Arab artist? And I was so lucky that I was, I had this like kind of internship where the first artists I was, and they were the first artists I was ever meeting in my life. So not not only Arab Americans, but the first artists, right. right? And so, and of course, there is this center of gravity, cultural density of uh, Arab American culture in Metro Detroit, exactly. probably the largest in the country, right? Yes, it's yeah. the largest. In the yeah. Country. So if you were going to come into contact with Arab American artists, it would, you know, De- Metro Detroit is is the place, right? That's right. And so it, I'm guessing that that's where you made your first short films. Were they were they also uh, themed or centered on a- Arab American topics? Or? Yes. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so it um, after working there for a couple of years, mm-hmm. it was like uh, there there was a new film school that opened up in Michigan called MPI, the Motion Picture Institute. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the and after kind of like a series of events, I saw the ad in the paper and it said, "Hey, you go to film school." Like it was a like quirky little you know yeah, ad, like, you know. Like, like, hey, you, you know. Like, draw tippy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool, yes. So I was like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. Um, and so after I went to film school, uh-huh. because I, 
you know, moving to Dearborn, it just reminded me, it was so cinematic because it was the first time I was in like this constant, this neighborhood filled with Arab Americans where mm-hmm. before, you know, in Lansing, there's not really an Arab American neighborhood. And so it kind of had this cinematic vibe. Like, it's, I feel like I'm in a, you know, like a Spike Lee movie. Sure. You know, or, Absolutely. And you very know? visual. I mean, when thinking of the trailer of, of your film, the, you know, the, 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 the motion and the colors. The, yes. The, I mean, that there's this kind of iconic look of, of Detroit. That's right? awesome. Uh, yeah. that, whole, that whole area that you capture in that, those fast motion cuts and everything. That's right. And that's what I wanted to catch. That was what was inspiring me to become mm-hmm. a filmmaker is the community that I was living around, my upbringing. Everything was kind of working together. And then it was like, oh, I think I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> so, so in your teaching at Michigan State, uh, clearly this is a, a like a practitioner field, right? You are a filmmaker, so you're teaching... What, what is it? Uh, uh, screenwriting. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your teaching and your courses that you're Absolutely. teaching. Yeah, um, I've uh, been teaching at Michigan State now for this is my fourth year. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really surprised at how much I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I feel like it's I, I knew I was going to like teaching. I mean, you know, I, I've always liked teaching and I'm a director. And as a director, you're kind of a natural teacher. You know, you have to teach to a certain right, extent. Right. You have to have a point of view and yes. get, get actors and, and cinematographers to, to realize what you've got up here. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my brother's a teacher and a very gifted teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And so, it can, you know, it's kind of in our family. Right. Um, and so but I was just surprised at how much I love it as much as filmmaking and just really love to help students um, pull out their stories. You know, mm-hmm. um, they they are so they're such inspired young talent. And it's just been so interesting and very inspiring to me just to see them kind of working through their stories right. and, and helping them. Um, tell the stories that they want to tell. Well, there's nothing like it. As a teacher, I have to ask you a question. So, you, so your um, your feature film predates your teaching at Michigan State, right? Mm-hmm. Did you do any film teaching in the in the film space before you made your first film? No, no. So here's here's my question. You're still actively making movies, right? Mm-hmm. Have you found that the practice of your teaching has had any impact or or, or influenced how you approach your filmmaking? Absolutely. Yeah, I tell th- me how. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's helped me to um, just be first in the practice of being in front of people, mm-hmm. you know, all the time, yeah. um, talking about film all the time. Because, you know, as a director, especially as an independent director, it's not like I work on a television set where I'm directing every week. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, so it's, it's years between films that I'm actually on a set. Exactly. Um, and the rest of the time I'm, I'm producing and writing mm-hmm. and casting and, you know, doing all these pre-production or behind-the-scenes things. But it's, it's not often that I'm always on a set. Okay. Um, and so but being a, a, becoming a professor and being in front of people all the time and really talking about the principles and fundamentals of filmmaking – um, has deeply inspired me, you know, in, in my current projects and just kind of kept me in more of a practice of doing this more often, you know, being in front of people, talking about it um, and helping people uh, fulfill their vision. You know, that's what you do as a director, too. You're helping the actor fulfill their performance to fulfill how they want to achieve this performance. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what I felt parlayed, you know, well into teaching is Okay, this is kind of like a nice like shift here. You uh-huh. know, you're administering, of course, um, but you're also inspiring. You know, and so that yeah. is so cool. And it sounds like not only has it had an impact on your filmmaking, but it must have. Your students are incredibly lucky, I think. Yeah, and so to so to hear about it, all this 
the the diverse experience in the filmmaking process as an independent filmmaker. You're not just a director. You're a producer. You're a fundraiser. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're accountant. All these, all the stuff you learned here at LCC. Yeah. You take that back to the students, and I'm imagining you bring like a lot of case study, example type um, anecdote into into your class sessions. Yes, absolutely, and that's been fun to sort of share my stories throughout my filmmaking process. Um, and to bring in actual, like, you know, uh, examples from my work and mm-hmm. uh, other people's work. And also what's been really fun is to introduce students to independent cinema. Right. Um, you know, a lot of times independent cinema, you know, in, in more, you know, uh, uh, younger generations, you know, gets a little lost. You yeah, know? it was hard to find. I mean, I grew up in Metro Detroit. It was Maple Art, right? Yes. That was like that's where we went to to see in the in the Detroit Film, you know, at the DIA and exactly. everything like that. But it must be. Is it easier to see independent films now with online or stuff, or is it harder? Definitely, I think it's definitely easier. That's it's what more, I would have yeah, it's more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, you know. Uh, you know, students sometimes don't, they don't know about independent like directors or mm-hmm. short films. I love to introduce students to short films. Um, so that's that's been fun, you know, just kind of showing them, you know, maybe more experimental work or um, like weird stuff or, you know, um, just something that is like not so much mainstream narrative. Um, and of course, the, along with that naturally comes a di- like a diversity, right? Um, you know, in ethnicity and gender and, and everything um, and the the types of stories that you know I show them or in that I think that helps to bring out their uh, their storytelling you know um, and to kind of look to their own um, experiences as great material for their stories right like we talked about that's that's great writing right yeah. that's what people uh, you know writers have to bring out their their own experience. You know, before we end, Rola, I would love to hear a little bit about what you're working on now. You, oh, sure. you know, so so your um, uh, Detroit Unleaded comes out when 2012 is that when you said so? Yeah. So it's I know that there's still a lot of interest around the film, but it's a decade old, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what are you working on now? Um, yeah. So um, my next project is um, it's a it's a my second feature, and it is about four Lebanese girls, Lebanese American girls, in set in nineteen ninety five. Okay. Um, so it's a kind of a period piece. It's a uh-huh. little flashback. But you're doing piece. what you're telling your students. You write what you know. Yeah, right? absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I consider the story really the story of it's really our coming of age story that never was shot. <laughs> you know, it's wow. our sort of 20 something coming of age, like me and my friends, when I say our, uh-huh. yeah. um, you know, me and my friends, our experience as Arab Americans, you know, growing up in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, coming of age in the nineties. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, na- navigating, you know, all, everything that, that you navigate in your twenties, you know, love, marriage, career, um, right. you know, family, um, the big and, stuff. Yeah, all mm-hmm. the big stuff. Now mm-hmm. it's like, okay, party time's over. Yep. And before social media and the internet. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And that's what I love about it, too, is that um, – and that's why I always see it as, like, this is the story that should have been shot. Like, 
20 mm-hmm. years ago. That's right. Like, um, it's almost like I'm hearing you say, like, where was this movie? You right. Know, for me, you know? Yeah. So that so that's cool. So that is what you're working on now. Where, where are you at in the process? Yeah. Where, yeah. Um, so we are in September. We're launching our capital campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was something that kind of got pushed back, you know, with the with the whole pandemic. I can't even imagine years. COVID and filmmaking, right? The, it, that must have really, really been an impact for you. It was very interesting. You know, like filmmakers are good at like navigating through you know hoops you know mm-hmm. that's what producers do right. you know we got to kind of like leap over these mm-hmm. very you know go through these hoops mm-hmm. and leap over obstacles and find loopholes and you know try to get here and try to get that um and so i always i always feel like the past couple of years you know filmmakers probably did well navigating covid and work mm-hmm. you know um because it's like it's it's a, just another loophole. <laughs> like it's another thing we have to do um, in order to get our films done. Um, so, you know, that, and, and that, that's kind of what happened in the past couple of years, you know, film crews began to adjust um, and started to, you know, work under the restrictions. Mm-hmm, At first mm-hmm. it was like shut down. Um, and, but then they came back and then started to work under the restrictions Got and it. were able to fulfill and like, you know, do principal photography and c- carry on with shoots. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the beginning, it was rough because nobody knew. Um, right. And so where are you shooting this one? This, uh, what was that? Where, where are you shooting the, your new um, uh, film? Oh. Like like physically? Oh, uh, it will be shot here in Michigan okay. um, on mm-hmm. the east side of Detroit uh-huh. or uh, Gross Point area. In Gross Point. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's after things began to kind of lift, restrictions began to kind of lift. Um, now we feel it's a time to, okay, launch the project. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting our capital campaign in the fall. Um, raising our budget and should be shooting hopefully by 2023. That's, that's exciting. That's so plan. do you have a title that you're sharing or not yet? Not yet. Not yet. I'm cool. not sharing I mean, the title had yet. Ask, had to ask. <laughs> well, that's cool. I'll be really looking forward to that. Thank you. And Ro, I have enjoyed this conversation a ton. I'm so uh, proud and excited about everything you've done with your experiences at LCC. Thank you. Um, and it. I really can't wait to see that film. And it's been wonderful to talk to you. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Appreciate Abs- it. Absolutely. LCC Alumni Stories is recorded, engineered, and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack, Who Told You, is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Learn more about what our alumni have been up to at lccconnect.org. And if you're an LCC alum and want to share your story with me, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This is LCC Connect on WLNZ 89.7 FM. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hi, my name's Bob. Hi, Bob. So I see this ad on TV, says I can reduce my debt by 50%. So I call. They told me to stop paying my bills, stop talking to my creditors. It didn't seem right, but they said they'd take care of everything. I gave them thousands of dollars, but most of it went to their fees. Getting out of debt is neither quick nor easy. There are those who will tell you anything just to win your trust. Sounded perfect. I did everything they told me to do. They never paid my creditors. They didn't even contact them. Turns out I'm even more in debt because the fees and the interest on my cards kept piling up. Bad advice from so-called experts can make your financial situation worse. And the bank turned me down for a mortgage. And that's when I realized my credit was shot. 
I should have gone straight to my creditors to begin with. There is a better way to get help. Talk to your creditors directly or to find a nonprofit agency near you. Visit DebtAdvice.org. DebtAdvice.org. Real solutions for real people. This has been a public service message. The West Campus Technical Careers Division at Lansing Community College is currently hiring for faculty, student, and support positions. A hiring fair will take place Tuesday, June 21st from 5 to 7 p.m. at LCC's West Campus located on Cornerstone Drive. To find out how to register, apply, or get more details, visit lcc.edu careers. That's lcc.edu careers.